Okay, so we're in part 20. We're going to cover chapter uh, some, some verses of chapter 8 today. So by way of review, we'll just read the end parts of 7. Um, from 7.14 to 25. So I'll just read 7.14 through 25 and just kind of briefly cover it so that we are set for understanding chapter 8. Uh, okay, so 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. <coughs> For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Okay, so we see from, from that, just to quickly summarize, we see that we still are a slave to sin if we choose to be, right? We can choose to go back into the slavery of sin, the bondage of sin, because <clears throat> we are of the flesh. Verse 14 says we're sold back under sin because we put ourselves back there. Um, we don't do what we want, but the thing that we hate. And we, we, we've been talking about that, how it just comes out. It just naturally comes out at times, um, this fleshly living, not the things that honor and glorify God, but this thing that, uh, you know, exalts our own flesh. Um, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so Paul is kind of giving you all of these actual um, realities of what you are, right? You're no longer a slave to sin, you're no longer under bondage, but you have this power of sin within you. Right alongside you is God at hand, right there with you as well. And that you're powerless because nothing good dwells in you, right? Nothing good dwells in the flesh, is what he says in verse um, 18. We have the will to do what is right, but the power not to do it. Um, so we have no power over ourselves or over sin within ourselves. We don't have the power to do it. That's what he's getting at the point. He's really hammering at the idea that you can't be sanctified by following the law, by following your own will, by following your own actions. By following, you can't be sanctified. You can't be more holy. You can't be more like Christ by living under the law, living the way the law wants you to do. So we're in a conflict, right? When we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. We, des we desire to do that which is right and good, but we are prisoner to the law of sin. So he asks the question, well, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this conundrum, from this conflict, from this problem? I find it at the same time I have this desire to please God, yet I want to do all these things that don't please God. And verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So now that's, that's where we are in the sanctification process. He's saying the same way that you got saved, justified by faith, is the same way you will be sanctified by God through faith, plus nothing, right? It's the same idea, the same amount of faith or the same um, pre premise of faith to God of salvation is the same premise and position you come to him for sanctification. And he's going to tell us that the power for sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we start at chapter 8 now. Um, so the true power of sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we have deliverance from sin. So let's start with chapter, or let's start with verse 1. So the means by which we will fulfill the commandments or the law of Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit. The way in which we have, we, the way in which we can overcome, be victorious, be delivered, is through the Holy Spirit indwelling us and the power of the Holy Spirit within us by fulfilling the commandments of, of the law of Christ. And Matt, last time you talked about Philippians 4, how when you dwell on, it's a commandment to dwell on these things. Dwell on the things that are good, lovely, righteous, holy, whatever thing is honorable. Do these things because that's the power within you to fulfill the law of Christ, right? Okay, so the solution to the problem of sanctification, meaning the solution to you being able to sanctify yourself, is that it's based on positional truth. It's understanding where you are in God's kingdom, in God's mind, in God's idea, where you stand. And we know that as being believers, God is looking at us as though we are in Christ. And we said this before, in Christ is a technical term. You are no longer under God's judgment or wrath. You are in Christ. It's a positional truth. We're baptized into the spirit of the body of Christ. We become out of that position and into this position. So we're no longer under the condemnation because it was abolished for us, not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And it's the abolishment that took place by the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. So the basis for sanctification, do you remember in chapter 6 what the basis for sanctification is? Why you would be sanctified? Chapter 6 was uh, kind of introducing the idea of sanctification. You have a union right? Your union with Christ is the basis for the sanctification. Because of the union, you now can be sanctified. Yeah? So that identification, that union, that connection will bring the newness of life within you. And then in chapter 7, he, Paul is discussing the, and detailing the relationship that we have in sanctification. And that relationship is can be accomplished because we have been released from the law. And we sort of envisioned like a jail cell and the door has been swung open and you can freely go out, but we oftentimes just stay in there and pull ourselves back in there, right? We do that to ourselves because we're relying on our ability to follow the law or to follow what we think without the power of the Holy Spirit to do it within you because we're, we're walking by flesh rather than walking by faith. Right? That's, that's sort of the, the premise here. Um, so being released from the law, Paul now is going to introduce 
the one who can provide that power over you rather than you having to take the steps and you having to do the work and you having to do the thing of sanctification it's the one right christ and the holy spirit dwelling in you who will give you the power to overcome so it's a it's a it's a mental attitude it's an understanding of where you are and your position therefore you will do and if you you have to get basically get out of the way because your your flesh has been delivered from the bondage of sin yet we still hold ourselves un, under it um, so when we went over 21 through 25 of chapter 7 are we are we going you know we may ask ourselves something like well that's unfortunate we're always going to want to do this but we always end up doing this we always have this desire to do this but we end up doing the bad things we don't want to do right um so we we may wonder that the power we will we ever get over this inability to do that and he says in verse one that yes basically you can but it doesn't come from you so Read verse 1, if you would. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right, so cl clearly that therefore, right, is in light of what he was just talking about in chapter 7, right? That the whole premise of, I, oh, wretched man that I am, I'm stuck in this conflict because I don't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer in that position of condemnation. Justification removed the guilt of sin. Remember, we talked about how when you are declared justified or righteous, it isn't because you are acting righteous. It's that God just declared you righteous, right? You still are learning and processing and growing and being sanctified to become more righteous. And we talked about how you might have done all these wonderful, great works before you were saved. You know, remember we talked about the cat, you know, saving the cat, the, all the kittens in the world or whatever. And they're great works. Atheists do great works. In fact, many religious people do terrible things, right? Or faith-based people do terrible things. And then there's people who do wonderful, good things, but they don't count as good things to God because they're all done under his condemnation. They're in the position of being under his wrath. All the good works you do when you're in the position of being in Christ, he counts as good, right? So even though they might be the same work, you might have saved the cat from the tree before you were saved, and it means nothing, and now that you're saved, you save the cat from the tree, and now it's a good work, right? Because if it's done to the glory of God, right? Whatever you do, do with all your heart unto the Lord and not unto men. That's the good work. Yes? Toby Mac posted a while back, and it says, The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your name, or God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. Huh. Very good. And I think of that a lot because so much of the time I'm bogged down by this, the burden of the sin in my life, even though I know it's forgiven. It's just like this, you know, why do I keep doing this? Or why do I not keep doing this? Mm -hmm. And feel condemned by that, that that's Satan condemning us. And, and our own flesh condemns uh, us, yeah. 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 So I thought that was... That's a great way to view it. Your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but 
And so that's a mental exercise, right? Putting your faith into action. The, the, the emotions follow the faith. The emotion follows the rational. You understand that God knows my sin, yet he calls me by my name. Therefore, why am I feeling condemned? Why am I acting condemned? Why am I behaving in a way that's in condemnation? Whereas I'm forgiven, I'm free, I've been released, I've been delivered, I'm seen as righteous. Your whole perspective of everything changes. Nothing can hold you back, right? Nothing can separate you. And the chapter eight is such a fantastic chapter for any one of us to always know and we're going to see the things that you are and the things that God has done for you why would we ever live any other way or think any other way so it's it's really good that's why I mean evil lies close at hand right because Satan knows because he's the great deceiver and liar he's constantly back and forth with God you know trying to point things out so he knows that you're going to fall like he's going to say well look at your past sins and so he's going to keep you down because he, he keeps you down that keeps you down and depressed and not in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to be able then to go forward and do great works for him so he keeps you down and he's close at hand he's always ready to just bring you down so we have to in our minds say you know well, I, I would, I would. Forgiven, so therefore God has given me the power to go forward to do His work. Yes, absolutely. I, I personally would say that we be careful that to blame everything on Satan, right? There's a well, no, balance, our, flesh, our own flesh, flesh, right? Not and not to give flesh. Satan all this credit, like, well, the devil made me do it. The devil made, you know, it's like, no. yep, our own flesh is waging war within us. Paul is saying that it's there. At hand is God. At hand is my flesh. Oh, wretched man, who can save me? So now he's going to give you the way to get over that. And, and our flesh is waging war. With, we have to have that mentality that it isn't just this, uh, you know, not, not that Satan doesn't ex exist. He certainly exists. But he doesn't need to exist in your life for us to still be condemned, you know. We are, we, remember, we imputed, we had that imputed sin into our lives regardless of, anything that when we were born we were born in sin um, but yeah that's those that's exactly right that mental that mental position of understanding that I have this condemnation within me because of my flesh the devil the world all these things but Paul says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus are you in Christ Jesus if you're in Christ Jesus, do you have condemnation? No, right? You have to tell yourself, I'm not condemned. Thanks, because all the glory goes to him because you did zero to, to achieve it, yet he gave it all. So if you're in Christ Jesus, therefore do not be condemned, right? So make sure you're in Christ Jesus, right? And we talked about one of the evidences of being in Christ Jesus is what? Remember that? An evidence of... of Knowing that you are in Christ Jesus, that knowing that you are saved, they have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, what is an evidence of that? The, the conviction, that turmoil, right? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. That's evidence that he is saved because he recognizes the wretchedness in his heart. The Holy Spirit is there. That's an evidence of being saved. Rather than being an evidence of doubt or guilt or uncertainty, it's evidence that you are saved. What a wonderful way to look at that rather than feeling down and depressed or whatever you can view it as oh my gosh it's here it's here it's in me you know so, so Steve, I'll share something with 
most people, you all know that I'm in recovery, and so I lived the life, you know, 20 years sober in AA at this point. Um, but it has made me just face life and look at life a little bit different than maybe normal people. Uh, and so I've used life, I use an analogy that my entire life is me in a room, and I'm in a room with a monster. And every single day, I wake up and I start my day by inviting God to take control of my life. <clears throat> and that puts up a barrier in that room between me and the monster. And I walk around in my room all day long with complete freedom and complete comfort and peace because I know that wall is there between me and the monster. Yeah. And every once in a while, a day happens where I look over, like in most of the time, the monster's sleeping in the corner, but every once in a while, the monster's looking back at me, but he can't touch me. <laughs> but every once in a while, there's a day where I look over and the monster's like coming at me, and I realize the wall's not up. This is me. I didn't get up this morning and turn my day over to God, turn my life over to God today, because yesterday doesn't count. I got to do it today. Yeah. Right? And I got to hurry up and get that wall up so I can have freedom because the monster's on attack as soon as the wall is down. Right. And, and when I live life in this mode of living in this routine, turning over every single day, I can have complete freedom with the monster in the room. And the monster also knows that he's not coming to get me because the wall is there. But it is contingent upon me every day submitting to God anew for a new, a new day for God to give me that freedom and that peace in my life. And I can't ever afford to do my part to recognize that it ain't gonna be me today. It's gonna be God today to give me the freedom to walk around. And I also then recognize that for the remainder of my life, Call it the monster, call it my flesh, call it whatever. Every single day, that monster's going to be in there in the room. There's never going to be a day where I wake up and the monster ain't there. Yeah. Because I am everywhere I go. You know? You are there. I have to live in that truth, and that truth is I'm a disaster. So I better get out of the way. I better give it over to God so that I can live in freedom. Yeah. So it's an analogy that I live life with that I think most people don't have to face it on that level because maybe their flesh isn't going to destroy their lives like my flesh will just you know if i let my addict take over i just become a disaster you know maybe people's sins aren't as surfacy as mine to let it take over their lives but um but it's a truth i think for all of us in the and same position it's it, yeah whether it's that or this it's the same position you remove yourself from the blessing and glorification of god you're in living in your own sin or whatever that's, right. that, that's very good Okay, so, um, so believers, no longer under condemnation. You're in the position of no condemnation, right? Justification, remove the guilt of sin. Sanctification is the process of removing the power of sin. Yeah? So when you were justified, the guilt of sin, the condemnation, the position was there. It was removed. Sanctification is the process of removing the power of that sin in your life, right? We're not condemned to the guilt of sin or the power of sin. Um, remember, we, we talked in chapters 1, 2, 3 to 5, all how Paul is bringing about that what? No matter if you're a Gentile, no matter if you're a, a learned Gentile, or a, a barbarian, or you're a Jew, 
all men fall short of the glory of God, right? All men, all sin, all men, all sin, right? And so that's what it's kind of referring here, that no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then chapters 6 and 7 are removing the power of sin, teaching us how to remove the power of sin. So he, verse 2, he explains how that is. So he tells us there's no condemnation then for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 2 tells us how that has accomplished. So read verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Right, so just to understand law, law not in the, not in the like, legislative sense where we have a penal code or whatever law meanings means authority right having having this um authority over you right what what um parameters do you live under and so in chapter seven we learned about the principle of indwelling sin even though we have been born again we still have this indwelling sin there's an, in, in chapter, in verse 2, we learn there's another aspect inside of us, and that's the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So, like Paul says, I have learned that I have, there's this law of sin with me, alongside me. Well, here now, we learn that there's also the spirit of life that has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, this spirit of life is the way is the means by which you have been set free from that other law, that authority over you, the sin, the, the law of sin. You have been delivered and set free from that. So it's like I said, the, the, the law is a concept of governing you. What governs your actions, but governs your behavior? What governs you? We are not autonomous as we think, right? We don't we don't get to make our own rules and our own laws. We are subject either under God's law or under the law of sin, right? Um, so the sin nature is still in us, but it no longer has legal authority over us. It no longer governs our actions, governs our, our behavior, our thoughts, right? Because we've been freed from its power, and that happened because of the spirit of life within us. That's what Paul is referring to, is that there's a spirit of life that's in you that has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So it's very positional. You were there, and now you're here. And the way that you got from there to here was a spirit of life in Christ Jesus, right? It wasn't through your actions or through your ideas or through your work. The spirit of life moved you from this position to that position. So we've been freed from its power. So now we live under the law of Christ. Right? In the law of Christ, we live by faith. The same thing. Like you were saying, Matt, you wake up and by faith, you don't build the wall. You don't put bricks and all the stuff. You say, by faith, Lord, I know that you'll put the wall there to protect me from that. And so he does. Right? It's just by faith you believe it to happen. Okay, verses 3 and 4, we see that Paul applies this positional truth to the law. Um, so there's a reason for the liberty or deliverance or freedom from the law. If you'd read verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do uh, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. 
Okay, so that's kind of going back on that, uh, that understanding that the law, is the law bad or good? Good, right? If the, is the law sinful? It's not no, sinful, right? It shows us what sin is. It shows us what sin is. Who makes the law, who makes it, why is the law powerless? Because it works through us, right? The flesh is the weak thing. So when it says, for God is done with the law, weakened by the flesh, the law is working with weak people, right? We're weak, meaning weak meaning we can't, <laughs> we can't do the law. We're, we're lamos. We can't complete the law. So the wall, like Greg said, the law is a flashlight. It's an expose of what you are. And it, it's powerless because you're weak. You don't have anything to do. You can't follow it. You, you're weakened. It's weakened by the flesh, right? So the law can't do anything to save you by sin, then, period, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, right? The law cannot accomplish sanctification because it's working with a weakened person, a fleshly person who's unable to do it. Um, so Paul, like I'm saying, Paul clearly states that the problem was not the law, but with whom the law was applied to. And that's the weak, which is us. The Mosaic law itself is not weak. The Mosaic law is working with weak people. That makes sense? So how does God solve the problem according to verse 3? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, right? Did Christ have a sinful flesh? No, he was in the likeness of sin. So that's a key no. word. He looked... Yeah, he looked like he would be, right? He looked like every one of us. He looked like a regular man. So he looked like he would have a sinful flesh, but he did not have a sinful flesh. He just became, he came in the resemblance or the likeness of sinful flesh. So he never possessed or inherited or had that sin imputed from him from Adam, right? That's the, that's the, the, the beauty of the immaculate conception, right? That the blood, the sinful imputation by the man was not given to Jesus. He was born of the God, the Father, and of Mary, the woman, right? So there's, there's a whole other discussion in that. There's a lot going on there, too. Um, so he did not possess that sinful nature, but he came in the resemblance or the likeness of that sinful nature. But he, so he came to overcome. He had to come in that likeness to overcome that sinful nature, right? The whole purpose of Christ coming was to deal with sin. That's the whole purpose. He came, he came as God's solution to the problem of sin because the law was powerless to save people. The law was powerless to sanctify people. The, all, the, all the law did was expose to people who they are, so you still have this problem, and nothing can solve it. You can't solve it. Following the law can't solve it. Nothing can solve it. But Christ came to deal with that. So what did he do? He condemned in his flesh sin. He put it where it belongs, right? So, and we understand this, this propitiation idea, right? To, when Christ died for our sins, where did our sins, where do we put our sins? On him, right? When he died on the cross, we put our sins on him, on the cross, right? When he, when, and when he was condemned on the part of 
the sin. It was our sin that condemned him. We condemned him. My sin crucified cross, Christ on the cross. My sin crucified Christ on the cross. My sin, right? Your sin, but my sin for me, right? That's the attitude I need to have. That I'm the one who condemned him. He's the one who came so that I could not be condemned, but I condemned him so that I could be delivered, right? And, you, and it's obviously to you, right? So as a result, we can succeed in Christ where we had previously failed in the law. Our success comes by him, not by us, right? We gave him the condemnation. He gave us a new position. So if we're trying to be sanctified by the power of the law, what happens? We fail, right? We fail when we're trying to follow the law. But if we are to be sanctified by the Spirit of Christ, we succeed. That's what's Paul's teaching. You can't do it by the law. You can only do it by the Spirit of Christ. He came to solve the problem. He gave the solution. He gave the answer. He condemned sin. He condemned you and your sin. Sin no longer reigns over you. <coughs> you have been victorious. So we see verse 4 that he now, we're going to see God's purpose in condemning sin in the flesh. Read verse 4. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the requirement of you fulfilled the requirement of the law. That's pretty crazy. I fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. How? Because we walk according to God's spirit rather than according to the law, right? Because he's the one who fulfilled it, right? He didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill the law, right? It was a good thing. So he just came to live it perfectly and fulfill the law and then position us into it. And we positioned our sinfulness onto him, that propitiation, that exchange. So God condemned that sin. Sin demanded death, right? It demanded death, for the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. So God condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. So the law was a very good thing. It just had to deal with weak people, fleshly people who couldn't fulfill it. Christ has to come in the likeness of man, in sinful flesh, but not being sinful, but in the likeness of our flesh, to fulfill the law and exchange his righteousness with our condemnation, right? Um, so we, we know from reality and personal lives that we, we can operate under the flesh. It comes out without even having to try it, right? But we don't operate after the flesh. We can operate in it, right? Or, or we can operate, sometimes we dabble in it and get, get involved, but it no longer takes over. It no longer has authority of us where we can do nothing else but live in the flesh. Like we talked about unbelievers, they are always living in the flesh. They might do what we would call nice, moral, good things, but they are always living in the flesh. None of the things they do are pleasing to God. So the argument, do you think you're going to heaven? And they say, yes, because I'm a good person. They're not a good person. They're actually just as bad as anything else. Hitler's and all them, you know, all them. So, okay, so verses, are we good so far? Three and four? Let me kind of summarize three and four. It has sort of five points. 
<coughs> so first, God did something that the law could not do. The thing that he did is he made it possible for those who walk in accordance with the indwelling spirit to live a holy life. And the reason that law could not bring about a holy life is because of the weakness of the flesh. We couldn't do it without the Spirit of God in us. But because of the Spirit of God in us, we can do it. Okay? Um, God therefore sent his Son in the likeness of a human being, meaning that Christ had a human body. But unlike the rest of human, humanity, he was not under the bondage of sin. And so Christ, and finally Christ died for the sin of others and on behalf of others. He died for the sole purpose of dealing with the sin issue. It required death. It required that type of punishment. It required that. So by means of the substitutionary death of Christ, we are now given the ability to live a holy life. So that's your position. That's where you stand. If you've been sanctified, if you've been justified, saved, that's your possession. Those things are your possession. So based upon that truth, you're given an option. And so let's look at verse 5. That's our option. Read verse 5, if you would. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So what option do we have? We can walk, yeah, we can walk with the flesh or we can walk with the spirit. That's the option you're given, right? And to the extent that you do one or the other is the extent that you grow or not grow, right? Essentially, or, or are sanctified, right? So walking in the flesh means whatever a person does, both good and bad, is, is done not in regard to God, right? Whatever you do, do with all your heart unto the Lord, not unto man. If you're walking in the flesh, means you're just going about your day doing all the things according to whatever you feel like they are without regard to God, like you're talking about. When you, when you, and that, I think that's, that's one of the aspects of pray without ceasing. It isn't that you're, like you said, on your knees and folded hands, closed eyes 24-7. You're just going about your day in regard to God. You're praying in communication with God all day long, right? right. Walking in the Spirit means walking according to the new nature and thus being controlled by the Spirit. So we have this option to choose which lifestyle we want to live because they're both at hand, right? They're both right there. They're both right there. Like I said, unbelievers, on the other hand, are always in the flesh. There's nothing, there's no part where they can ever be in the spirit. They are always in the flesh. You were always in the flesh before you became a believer, right? You were always there. And they only, you only had access to the sin nature. Now you have access to your new nature. So grow your new nature by just choosing to let God rule your life. Um, okay, so depending upon which lifestyle we choose, we will experience a result, right? A consequence. Consequence has actions. It can be good consequences or it can be bad consequences. So read verse 6 if you would. So what's the purpose of the flesh? What does it produce, according to this verse? Death. What's the purpose of the mind of the spirit? What does that produce? Life and peace. So do you, do you want life and peace? <laughs> 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 right? 
So the, the result of walking after the flesh is death. The result of walking in the Spirit is life and peace. We have a reason. Verse 7 and 8. Read verse 7 if you would. And 8, and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are, on the, who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's hostile, right? You're hostile to God if your mind is of the flesh. It's not only set on death, but it's hostile, right? Um, because the flesh is never subject to God or the law of God. It's totally depraved. Our, our, our sin nature is totally depraved. It's incapable of subjecting itself to God. So that mindset, that attitude, is hostile to God. It can never please Him. It'd be stupid to even think that. So like we're talking about, when you, if a person who's not a believer thinks they're good, therefore they're going to heaven, that is foolishness because it is actually hostile to God. It's incomplete. It's, hostile means at war, at, at an enemy, right? They're ho he's hostile to him because um, it's a flesh-centered life. So we can operate as believers. We can operate according to flesh, according to the flesh, meaning in the likeness in the flesh, meaning that, that we have that habit already there, but we are not in the flesh. We have to kind of hash those, that out. We know how to walk according to the flesh because it comes natural, but you are not in the flesh anymore, right? You just go back to what you used to do or back to what you see around you or back to what culture tells you to act or behave, right? But we're not in the flesh. We are not, a, we don't, sin and flesh does not have authority over us. But again, for the unbeliever, no matter what, they are always operating under the flesh. Um, we better stop there because we will have uh, we can have deliverance from the body as well and that's what we're going to find out in the next several verses so any thoughts, comments, questions So you're saying like a lot of people are really nice people. I've met a lot of nice people, right? But they have no thought of God. Ever. It's kind of a self self-righteousness, right? We, we, I'm very good at that too. I'm very good at being nice to people and not really thinking about God in their life, right? I'm just nice because you want to be nice to people, you know, and and so. But Paul, Paul is really hashing the point, have it in your mind, right? Meaning train your mind. That, that faith action, putting your faith into action is having your mind changed. Um, what is it? Hebrews 11. Now faith is being sure of what you hope for, right? And certain of what you do not see. Being sure is your mind. Now faith is being sure. Well, sure, surety is a certainness. It's a, it's, a, it's a logical conviction that you believe that it is true. Now faith is being sure that of what I hope for. I hope that God is sanctifying me. God is changing me moment by moment. So I'm being sure that he's doing that. That's how I please him because I am logically convinced, setting my mind upon the position that I am now in, living by the newness of life, living in the, living by the spirit that is in me, that's what I'm sure of. When I'm sure of that, 
Now faith is being sure of what I hope for, which is future glorification, and now is sanctification. It's being sure of what I hope for, certain of what I do not see. Without faith, it's what? Impossible, Impossible to please God. Impossible. So, donuts time. All right, all right. <laughs> Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're just grateful. We're so incredibly grateful that you have given us everything. You have condemned our sin nature. You have condemned the authority of sin over our lives. And you have given us the life of, of the Spirit, the newness of life, the overcoming life, the deliverance of sin over us. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we ask, we plead, we beg, we ask for mercy and grace that you would continue to give us uh, this faith to live the sanctified life, to live in the newness of life, and that we would relinquish our own ideas and our own thoughts and we'd give them to you moment by moment, day by day. Thank you for the opportunity to understand your word and to know your word. Lord, help us to apply it and help us to understand it and help us to memorize it and know it on the forefront of our mind and change our minds about being sure of the hope that is within us and the future glorification. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.